Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Anyway, time to look uh, beyond our borders. Uh, our guide, as ever, is Jonathan de Burke Butler. Jonathan, good afternoon. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, Russia, we're going to go to uh, first, where uh, a lot of marriage is taking place. Why? Yeah, marriages have skyrocketed uh, since September, and it'd be no surprise to people who are good at putting two and two together out there that September was when Putin ordered the mobilisation of some 300 to 400,000 uh, troops uh, to go in to continue the invasion of Ukraine. Um, and so it was decided people who were maybe had children outside of wedlock uh, or people who were just, um, you know, putting the marriage on the long finger decided that they would tie the knot. Uh, and there was various different reasons for that, most of them being financial, to be honest with you, uh, because legally married wives have more rights, as you can imagine. Mm. So, for example, one time payments for families of mobilised soldiers range from between 50,000 to 150,000 rubles which equates to about $815 to $2,500, right? So that's just for being moved out to the place. Wives are entitled to a payment of up to 7 million rubles, which is equivalent of about $115,000 if the husband is killed. Uh, So quite an incentive uh, to get married should something happen uh, in that regard. And then there's various other payments if you're wounded in combat and that kind of thing. Now, in order to facilitate these marriages, because there have been quite a few, uh, they actually allowed soldiers who submitted their paperwork with their partners on the same day to get married on these bases where they were gathering to, to, Mm. to go off and fight in the war. And in some cases, if they didn't have those, they'd send them off to the local registrar uh, to uh, on buses and they would get them done and turned over in very quick time. So some of the numbers have been astronomical. Uh, Are there some certain parts of the country where it's uh, been uh, more acute, the increase in marriage? Yeah, well, right across the board, right? So there was, there is um, apparently a, a data gathering site, Media Zona, it's called, which which looks at all of these things and looks at, at all these statistics. And if we look at one place in the south of the country, so it's quite close to Mongolia. In fact, the majority of the people who live there are, are really more Mongolian than they would be Russian. Uh, there's a population there in Buryata, it's called, of about a million people, right? And before deployment, they were averaging 83 weddings per week. After the deployment, they've been averaging 600 weddings per week. Wow. So it's quite a significant increase. Uh, and I think of it, most of it is probably driven by those financial compensations that are being uh, awarded to people should the worst happen. That's extraordinary. Right, uh, the United States we're going to go to uh, next. Everyone there is uh, voting today. And now this kind of this story kind of has uh, vague parallels with things that have happened uh, uh, with people in Ireland too. But this is a, 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 a woman from Kansas who was a member of Islamic State. She was, and she was quite uh, high up in Islamic State. Her name was Alison Fluke Ekran. She was a 42-year-old teacher, she was, before she went off to Syria. And um, she became the leader of a group called Katiba Nuseba. Okay, this was a battalion of roughly a hundred women and girls who were predominantly based in Raqqa, uh, which you know people who followed the war will 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 know it was a significant place. I think it was the HQ or the capital, really, of Islamic State mm. for an awfully long time. Um, anyway, she was uh, charged with looking after these 100 girls or, or women, some of them as young as 10. She had brought her own daughters there to be part of this particular battalion. 
and um, between the jigs and the reels, she ended up back in the United States. All right, she was arrested in Syria in 2021 uh, by we, we don't actually know who she was arrested by, but sent back to the United States to stand trial for the nine or so years that she spent in Syria. Mm. You know, doing all of these different things. Now, as I said, while she was there, her own children were were, were with her, and they have actually condemned her or sorry denounced her in court uh, during this trial and they actually asked the judge for the maximum sentence to be imposed on uh, this woman and That's she has got 20 years in prison she's going to spend for her part in uh, in this particular war essentially uh, and what kinds of things were the kids saying about her so they said that she would torture them effectively. There was one incident that the daughter, whose name, I don't know if it's a real name here, but she, she, it's given as Layla in the court reports. She said that when she was 13, that uh, she, try, she covered um, her face, the mother covered her face in, in a sort of delousing chemical, uh, which burnt her face and, and made her come up in blisters. And then she tried to cover it up by washing off the chemical but the daughter in a strange reaction said in court that I wanted to people she tried to stop her from washing off the the chemical and she said I wanted people to see what kind of person she was I wanted it to blind me now that would indicate that she was under severe stress and strain for the whole time that she was there and indeed in in some of the 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 court testimony other witnesses said that she saw that they saw the daughter actually carrying an AK-47 and being trained to do that this was a woman who made her own daughter marry a man at the age of 13 and tried to defend it in court uh, by saying that, well, she was almost 14 and it was her choice. Uh, so she was particularly evil and uh, 20 years, uh, you know, might not be good enough for her, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and even as I understand it, people within Islamic State thought she was uh, um, thought she was on the outer edge of things. Yeah, well, the one quote says that she was off the charts in terms of her radicalisation. Yeah, gosh... Right, Australia we're going to go to uh, now and this is a story about a federal court uh, orders the government to mediate with Indonesians. Uh, about what? Okay, so I'll, I'll go back a bit if yeah, I can on sure. this one. So uh, this goes back to 2008, between 2008 and 2011, right, when uh, boats were being deployed from Indonesia to try and get migrants from Asia into Australia, right? Now, these, these, these migrants, illegal, whatever you want to call them, were coming from all over Asia, but their main um, point of, of, of setting off on their voyage was Indonesia. And an awful lot of the boats were run, obviously, by people smugglers. But what they would do would be they would go to young Indonesians, some as young as 12 or 13, and they'd say to them, look, come and work on our boat and we'll give you a little bit of money without, of course, them realising that they were people smuggling, Okay, They would get across the, 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 the sea, they'd arrive at Australia, and in some cases the boats would be stopped and the people smugglers would be arrested. The the refugees and the 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 immigrants would be taken off and they would be put into holding centres. What happened to the younger members of the of the crew that were on board was slightly different in different cases. So some of these, as I said, were twelve or thirteen years of age. As I said, the adults were arrested and they were you know often put on trial, but. Uh, the young people were supposed to be sent back to Indonesia, mm. but in the case of some. They were kept because of an X-ray that was done. It's known as a wrist test. Okay, the authorities would take them, X-ray their hands, and look at the bones in the hands. And by that, they would judge 
how old they were. So even if these oh, kids said right. that they were 12 okay. or 13... Of course, yeah, and you yeah. couldn't necessarily prove it either way. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. The authority would say, no, 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 you can't be... Look at your bones. Mm. They're developed like an adult. So what the authorities would do, even though they had a fair idea that this probably wasn't the case, mm. is they'd make them 18 or 19, so they'd fall into the adult bracket and therefore could be prosecuted. And some of these people ended up in prison for two two to three years. So 122 Indonesians are now taking a class action or started, sorry, two years ago against the government of Australia and they're looking for compensation. I think this federal court in Australia has ordered the government to go into negotiations with them in order to save the Australian government a little bit of face, to be honest, because they have until March of next year to, co- to negotiate some sort of compensation. And this, But if it, that doesn't happen... The whole thing will go to trial. Documents come out into the public. At the moment, they're being exchanged privately between the lawyers for the Indonesians. So it would be advisable, I don't know, I think for the Australian government to probably come up with some sort of a deal. And are many of these people still in jail? No, I don't think any of them are, actually. I think think most of them were sent back uh, after the time they served. In in Mm. the main, it was two or three years. Right, Okay. Um, And some of them have come back, hired lawyers of their own and had their convictions overturned. And it's because of that that they're now taking this further because the Ah, government admitted that something has been, something wrong was done here. Uh, Right, Ecuador, we're going to go to you next where there's a curfew in place. What's been happening? Yeah, it's, cur- it's curfew in place. Ecuador, the last time we spoke about Ecuador was back in August uh, of this year, and that was after a prison riot in which 15 people had died, okay? Mm. Now, this particular uh, incident, um, or incidents, I should say, took place last Tuesday. Uh, there seems to have been a problem whereby the authorities in Ecuador decided that they were moving gang leaders from one prison that they controlled to another one. And the gang leaders were particularly happy about that. Mm. They said that they would take revenge on the government if this happened. And that's exactly what these gangs have done last Tuesday, right? So there was nine explosions, five police officers were killed and seven prison officers were taken hostage by inmates in uh, in two cities on the west coast of Ecuador, okay? Now, the seven, in, the seven prison officers were since released. They negotiated their release and they're fine. The five police officers were shot dead, uh, point-blank range. So the president has now imposed a curfew and declared a state of emergency saying that these gangs have declared war on the country uh, and it's it's a, it's in a terrible state at the moment. And, you know, if you look back at Ecuador back in, you know, 2019, 2020, there was nothing like this going on. But the numbers of people that are getting involved now in drug gangs and in the drugs trade and in the tit-for-tat killings is astronomical and it's becoming a, it's becoming a real problem there. Mm. Is there any particular reason why the drugs trade has grown so much yeah, recently it, in Ecuador? It, 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 well, geographically, Ecuador is between Colombia and Peru. Uh, it has a big shipping fleet, apparently, yeah, of various yeah. different things. So it's a good place for... Um, it's a new market, I suppose, through which to get the drugs into Europe and the United States. Um, so that's one reason. And it appears that the gangs are vying for the attention, shall we say, of the Mexican drug cartels who are coming right. into the area. Remember, we spoke about the same in Colombia yes, we a couple did. of weeks yeah. ago. Same yeah. thing happening in Ecuador. And of course, the violence is uh, is getting worse as a result. Right. Uh, uh, Tunis, we're going to go to uh, next where a uh, massive transport strike there. Yeah, finally, just it's just one of these sort of simple stories. But I, I think if you look at what's happened in Tunisia in the last few years with President Kais Saeed changing the constitution in the last couple of years, and they have gone from being the poster boy for the Arab Spring in 2011 to 
tipping back into dictatorship, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And an awful lot of that goes goes down to things like this. They can't afford to pay their employees in the public service, right? So um, the strike has happened in Tunis because, according to the trade union there, 8,300 employees have not yet received their salaries from October. They're 10 days late. So the bus drivers and the train drivers oh. who look after the whole thing have decided we've had enough and so we're going we're gonna to walk out and uh, it's causing chaos within the country. But I just think as one of those everyday stories, okay, it's not a terrorist attack or a war no, or No, but like it could that. well lead to something exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things that, that often leads to people like this, Kais Saeed, coming to power. He's the guy that they voted in to sort these kind of problems out, but they still persist. Right, so what should we look out for over the next week or so? Yeah, there's a few interesting things happening. Obviously, the whole thing around the midterms uh, today and tomorrow in the United States. But I thought um, there's an interesting story in Ankara where President Erdogan is meeting the Swedish Prime Minister, Prime Minister, Prime Minister, Prime Minister uh, to discuss Stockholm's bid to join NATO, Mm. as well as the extradition of people um, that Ankara basically feel are terrorists and are being harboured from their point of view in Sweden. Um, That'll be an interesting meeting. And then on Sunday, Slovenia vote in the second round of the presidential election there. Okay. Jonathan, thanks a million as ever. Uh, Jonathan DeBarca Butler there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.